Hello, Lakeview Church. You guys are doing pretty good at that. I want to just say how grateful I am that you took time out of your weekend to be here in this room, and I want to take a moment to look right into the camera and just say hello to all of you who are joining us online. We're so glad that you're gathered with us today, and uh, we just want to say welcome. We're glad that you're here, and for those of you who are in the room, can we just let our online congregation know that we're glad they're here with us by giving a round of applause? You may or may not know this, but there are a group of people for a variety of reasons. They're traveling on vacation or they're in a nursing home or they're a shut-in in their own house and, and they just can't get here and so they join us online. And over the last couple of months, we've even seen that number start to grow a bit and we just want to let them know that they're part of our congregation as well and it's important for us to welcome them in. And whether you're here in this room or whether you're joining us online, we just want you to know that we are an everyday church for everyday people, striving to follow Jesus, live generously, and make a difference every single day. And if you're newer around Lakeview, or maybe this is your very first Sunday here, I just want you to know we're inviting you to journey with us. Everybody in this room, everybody who's a part of this church, we're all at different places in our spiritual journey. Some of us are just beginning to seek out who Jesus is, and some of us have been walking with Jesus for decades and everywhere in between. And we just want you to know that we're all seeking to grow in our faith and understand more what this faith journey is about. And we just are inviting you to journey with us. And I hope you'll get plugged into our church, that you'll get involved, and that you'll begin to take that journey with us. And I hope that you will do that. Now, we are in 21 Days of Prayer, which Pastor Jared talked about just a little bit ago. And today is day 15. And for some of you, you've been journeying with us, you've been showing up here in the sanctuary at 6.30 in the morning during the week, and you've been praying with us, you've been here on Saturdays at 8, 8 a.m. To, to spend an hour in prayer and seeking the Lord together, and some of you haven't. And so for you, 21 days of prayer can become six days of prayer. There's six days left, and tomorrow morning at 6.30 a.m., we're going to be right here in this sanctuary, and I want to encourage you, if you haven't been out for 21 days of prayer, to come out and pray with us for an hour. And some of you say, why so early in the morning? Because we have committed in our church to pray first, first thing in the morning. And I can tell you right now, when the alarm goes off and you got to roll out of bed and you got to get here on time, it costs you something. But we don't want to offer God something that costs us nothing. It's important for us to offer to God something that costs us something. And I know about two in the afternoon when I start getting a little sleepy, because I've gotten up a little earlier than I normally do, that I'm reminded in that moment that I want more of God. It's not just at 6.30 in the morning that I am here desiring him. It's at 2 in the afternoon when I start to get a little sleepy and I just get another cup of coffee. And when I'm making that cup of coffee, I just remind myself, I want God more than anything else in my life. Even more than that cup of coffee. <laughs> you see, we do 21 days of prayer. We do it twice a year. We do it in January and we do it in August because we want to seek the Lord as a church. 
We want God's blessing and favor to rest upon what we do as a church. And so we pray in August because we know fall ministry is right around the corner and we are simply asking God to do something in us and among us and through us in this fall season of ministry. So I just want to invite you in this last week of 21 Days of Prayer, if you've been involved, stay involved. Don't quit now. But if you haven't been involved, get involved. Six days of prayer is better than no days of prayer. So join us for this last week and let's seek the Lord together. Now, as we're walking through 21 days of prayer, we've been in a message series, which we're calling the Spirit-Filled Life. And we're walking through this series during the month of August. And today is the third week of that series. And in this series, we're simply asking and, and, and kind of talking about this important point, that it is our responsibility as God's people to be under the influence and complete control of the Holy Spirit. And our key verse in this entire series is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, which says, do not be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Just like a person who consumes alcohol allows their mind and their body to be placed under the control of that substance that they've consumed, in the same way we're to give ourselves control uh, the control of our lives over to the Holy Spirit so the Holy Spirit can do whatever he wants to do in and through us. And this is what we're talking about in this series. How do we give ourselves over to the Holy Spirit so that he is filling our lives and influencing us and controlling our steps and guiding and directing our journeys? And what we started talking about last week in the second week of the series is the way the Holy Spirit, when we are under his influence and under his control, he starts to change our lives. He starts to shape and form us in different ways. And last week we talked about the, the fact that when the Holy Spirit is controlling our lives, he refines us. He begins to make us pure and holy like God. He pushes out the things of our sinful nature, the, the part of our lives that wants to go away from God and replaces it with the fruit of the Spirit so that we begin to look more and more like Jesus Christ. Today, I want to talk to you about another impact of the Holy Spirit, because he doesn't just refine us to make us pure and holy like God. He actually comes into our lives to make us bold and courageous so that we can make a difference for God. And so we're going to talk about that this morning in a story from Acts chapter 4. Elaine read for us this prayer of the early church in Acts chapter 4, and we're going to dig into that prayer but it's important for us to recognize that this prayer was not prayed in a vacuum. They didn't just get together to pray this prayer. They were praying this prayer in response to something that had happened to them. There was something that was going on in their day and in their time, an opposition, a, a challenge, a difficulty that they were facing. And so they gathered together and in response to that challenge, they prayed this prayer. So I want to take just a couple of moments and help you understand what they were facing, and then we're going to dig into the prayer. The passage that we read came from Acts chapter 4, but if you back up to Acts chapter 3, you find Peter and John, the two leaders of the early church, going to the temple for the afternoon prayer service. Now, some of you don't maybe know this, but, but in Peter and John's day, they didn't just meet on the Sabbath day for worship. They actually had prayer services at different times in the day at the temple. 
And people would gather for these prayer times at different points in the day. And so Peter and John were going to the temple for afternoon prayer. It was probably about 3 p.m. in the afternoon, and they're traveling to the temple. And at the same time, there's a man who the scriptures say had been crippled from a young age. And he was being carried to the entrance of the temple at the same time that Peter and John are traveling to the temple. This crippled man didn't have a way to make a living. And so he would go to these places where people would gather in large numbers, and then he would, he would beg for money. And so he's, he's not dumb. He, he's a smart guy. He knows that all of these people are going to be streaming into the temple. He wants to be there because he'll increase the chances of making more money. And so he's being brought to the entrance of the temple. Peter and John are traveling, and, and about that time, their paths cross. And the beggar says to Peter and John, hey, can you give me some money? You got a few dollars that I could have? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit and with a sense of faith and boldness, looks at this man who's begging for money, and he says, I don't have any money to give you, but what I do have, I give to you now in the name of Jesus. Get up and walk. And he walks over and he reaches out his hand and he helps this guy up. And this guy whose legs have not had strength in them for a long, long, long time, his legs are strengthened and he can stand and he can walk. And in fact, the Bible says that he starts jumping up and down like he's celebrating scoring the winning goal in a hockey game. He is just excited. By the way, hockey's coming. I know it's not here yet, but it's coming we just have the NFL to just tide us over until hockey starts. So, um, sorry, that was not in the message at all. Just a little, a little sidetrack. So, but this guy's walking around, he's jumping up and down, and the people all streaming into the temple, they see what's happening. They see that Peter and John just healed this man in the name of Jesus. And Peter, being a good preacher, recognizes he now has a congregation. And he starts to preach. He starts to proclaim the gospel. God's already demonstrated his power in that moment. And now Peter's got a group of people around him who are listening because they've just seen something miraculous. And Peter proclaims the gospel. And he starts talking about Jesus. He talks about Jesus dying on the cross. He talks about Jesus being raised from the dead. He talks about the, the, true, the truths of the gospel that the people need to hear and understand. And the religious leaders who are in charge of the temple are getting nervous. This is not their message. This is not their movement. And so the the chief priests and the captain of the temple guard and a religious group of leaders known as the Sadducees, those who did not believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe the resurrection was possible, that it was something that God would do for people. And so they certainly didn't believe Jesus was raised and they did not believe anyone else would ever be raised. All of these people get together, the chief priests, the captain of the temple guard, the Sadducees, and they decide to arrest Peter and John. Peter and John get thrown into jail. They spend a night in jail. The next day, they're brought out, and they're brought before the leaders of the temple. And as they gather with the leaders of the temple, they want to hear 
what Peter and John have been doing. They want to kind of interrogate them. And Peter, he's just, he is a passionate preacher, sees another opportunity to preach the gospel. He's like, I've got an audience. That's all I need. And he starts proclaiming the gospel again. And the chief priests, they, they let Peter and John go out of the room, and then they confer together to determine what they're going to do. Now, they have a dilemma. And here's the dilemma. The crowds of people saw the miracle. They saw it with their own eyes. It's not just something they heard about. They saw it, and they heard the gospel, and they've started now to believe in Jesus. They've started to consider Jesus as someone that they could follow, someone they could believe in, because they've seen the power of God, and they've heard the word of God. And so the leaders of the temple realize if we put these guys in prison and keep them there, we might have a riot on our hands. If we beat them or if we execute them, even worse, these these people who believe in Jesus, who are starting to consider following Jesus, might become an uprising and we could have trouble on our hands. So they come up with this idea. Let's let them go. We won't keep them. We're not going to beat them. We're not going to punish them. We're not going to execute them. And we're not going to keep them in jail anymore. We're going to let them go. But we're going to tell them that they can never again speak or teach in the name of Jesus. They got to keep their mouths shut when it comes to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to dig into this prayer in a minute, but, but before we get there, as much as possible, can you just put yourself in that moment? Just imagine that you are Peter and John. You have just seen God do this amazing thing through the words that you spoke. With faith in your heart, you proclaimed healing and freedom for this crippled man, and God healed them. You didn't heal them. God healed them. And you saw his power demonstrated through this moment. And you've had an opportunity now to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to a crowd of people, and people are getting excited, and they're leaning in, and they're wanting to pursue Jesus in this moment. Put yourself in that place, and now... Think about the ruling authorities of the place where you live telling you you can't ever talk about Jesus again. What would you do if you were in that moment? If you knew that to speak of Jesus would land you in jail or maybe would cause you to be beaten or maybe even imprisoned for a long time or maybe even killed, what would you do? Peter and John, they leave the temple after they're allowed to go, and they've got this this threat that's been issued against them. And the reason we're going to look at this passage this morning is because I think it's instructive for us. Right? How does the early church respond when the pressure gets turned up and the heat is rising against them? I mean, think about what they've gone through. In Acts chapter 1, they're told to go and wait in Jerusalem for the gift that the Father has promised. And in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is poured out, and Peter preaches the first message of the church, and 3,000 people come to faith. 
And at the end of Acts chapter two, they're forming up and they're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and they're giving themselves to fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer and they're gathering together, they're supporting one another and the church is growing and it's making a difference. And then we get to Acts three. And for the first time, the church faces opposition and they're told, you guys need to shut your mouth. Don't ever talk about Jesus again. We don't want to hear his name anymore around these parts. How does the early church respond when it faces its first moment of opposition? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. There are three things I think we learn from this prayer and this response of the early church in Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 24. And I'm going to just walk through these three things as quickly as I can. The first thing that I think we learn is that the early church, when facing opposition, the very first thing that they do is they pray. Their first response is prayer. In your life, what do you do when the pressure gets turned up and the heat starts to rise? Do you start wringing your hands, worrying, and start imagining all the worst case scenarios? Right? And you just spend all kinds of time in make-believe. That's what worry is, by the way. It's just making up stories that are going to happen in the future with no basis in fact. But we tend to do that. When the pressure starts to get turned up, we wring our hands and we worry. We, we just go into make-believe land. And we create all kinds of stories. The sky is falling. Things are never going to be right again. And we imagine the worst-case scenario. Or maybe, maybe we don't worry. Maybe we just become afraid and we just go hide, right? We just kind of cower in the corner like, just please let it go away. Or maybe, maybe we roll up our sleeves, right? And we just go to work. We're like, God, I'll take it from here. There's a problem that's in my life. I'm going to fix it, Lord. I don't need your help. And we don't actually say those words, but we behave that way. We just feel like there's a problem. I'll make a solution. Or maybe we just distract ourselves. Just like, what is in the up next part of my queue? And let me just binge watch that show. And maybe I can just distract myself from what's going on in the world and in my life. Or maybe we commiserate with others. We just get a bunch of people around us and we just complain and bellyache and, and we want them to commiserate with us so we can all be sad and depressed and discouraged together. Misery loves company, right? When the pressure gets turned up in your life, when the heat is rising, what's your response? The early church teaches us a really important lesson about what it looks like to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, that whenever the pressure gets turned up, whenever the heat is rising in our lives, our first response should be prayer. There are lots of ways we can respond, lots of ways we could respond when the pressure gets turned up and the heat is rising. But here's the reality. When we face opposition, when we face challenge, when we face difficulty, when we face anything in life, our first response should be prayer. In verse 24, after they consider the threats that have been leveled against them, the believers lifted their voices together in prayer. They didn't 
say, shut the doors and lock everything down. Let's hide over here. Let's be really quiet. They didn't say, well, I guess we should listen. Let's never say the name Jesus again. Him whose name shall not be mentioned. Right? We don't, they didn't say that. They didn't go cower in the corner or crawl up in a ball on the floor and just hope for it to all go away. They didn't complain or commiserate with one another. They just simply said, let's pray. Like, I know what to do. Let's seek the Lord in this moment. And they turned to the Lord in prayer. They took the situation that they were facing and they lifted it to the only one who could do something about it. And I love the fact that they've been, they've been threatened by the leaders and the authorities of their day, and the way they begin their prayer is also instructive. Because they, it's like whatever the rulers and authority, whatever level you put them on, they just pray, oh, sovereign Lord, the one who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, In other words, whatever power you've got in this world, we're talking to the God who made the world. Right? Like that's why prayer should be our first response because whenever we come to him, the heavens are his throne and the earth is where he places his feet. He's that big and that powerful and that mighty. He is the only God and there is no other God beside him. And whatever power and authority you encounter in this world, I'm telling you right now, God is more than that. And that's why prayer is so important because it takes us into the presence of the one who can do something about the things that we are facing in this world. Our first response should be prayer. But it's not just that they prayed, it's what they prayed that's important. Which brings me to the second thing we learn in Acts chapter 4, that not only was their first response prayer, but their first filter was the word of God. Look at their prayer. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth and the sea and all that's in them. And then what do they do next? They go to Psalm 2. They quote the scripture. And, and they're making sense of what's happening in the world around them by going back to the word of God. This is, this is really important for us to understand in our day. Because I'm telling you right now, over the last few years, I have gotten sick and tired of Christians dealing with things in this world by going to popular authors to see what they say about it. It's not that I'm against popular authors, but we got a book that is our book. And we ought to go to that book and see what it says about what's going on around us in this world. We have to be people of the Bible. And I love the way the early church prays. I remember in, in this passage what you spoke through your servant long ago. He said, why would the nations be angry and why would they plot against the Lord and his anointed one? I've read this before. These threats shouldn't surprise us. You said it was going to happen. 
You see what they're doing? They're filtering their experience through the word of God. And so they're praying back the scriptures. Now, my name is Chris, and I'm your friend. But these next few minutes, I'm just going to challenge you because some of us wouldn't know what to pray from the word because we don't read it. You can, in school, cram for a test, and you might be able to get a passing grade. But you cannot cram for life. So if you are not spending time every day in the word of God, when you face opposition in this world, when you are challenged, when you face difficulty and hardship, when the pressure gets turned up and the heat is rising, you can't cram in those moments to say, what does God's word say? I need it fast. It needs to be in there already. And some of you tried reading the Bible, but you didn't feel like you were having an experience with the Lord, and so you put it aside, except we don't always read Scripture to have an experience with the Lord. Sometimes we read Scripture just to put it inside, because someday we're going to need it. I, I, I just don't ever like to leave food on my plate, because someday I might need it. So I just eat it all when it's there in front of me. And sometimes I even get more on the plate and eat some more because I, I might need it someday. And I'm, I'm doing just fine. Don't you worry about me. But here's the thing. Some of us, we wonder why, why do Christians get knocked off balance when the world is shifting and changing like it's been changing over the last few years? It's because you didn't build your life on the solid rock of God's word. You've got to read the word. I'm telling you right now, if there is one thing that I could beg you to do that I think would make the most difference in your life over the course of your days, it is that you would be in the word of God on a daily basis. That's why we have a daily Bible reading plan, not because our plan is the right plan, because it doesn't matter what plan you have. It's that you're reading the word of God every day. Open it up and see what it says. Let God speak to you. Let him put his truth inside of you. The psalmist says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. We gotta be people of the word. If you don't have a Bible reading plan, I wanna encourage you to start today. Don't wait till tomorrow, start today. And you say, I don't know how to get a Bible reading plan. Well, we got these bookmarks. They're right at the Welcome Center, right back there. And you can pick one up. And if you forget to pick one up, you can go to our website or you can download the YouVersion app of the Bible and just pick a Bible reading plan and start. Get in the word of God, because when we go to prayer, which ought to be our first response, we need to have a filter to make sense of what's happening around us. God's people in Acts chapter four, they said, let's pray. And then they call, recalled the word of God immediately because it was in their heart. I've read this before. I know what's happening right now. And why is it important that our first response be prayer and our first filter be the word of God? Because when we put those two things together, we are now primed to pray bold prayers. 
And that's what God has asked his church to pray, bold prayers for kingdom advancement. We see this in the early church. They they pray, oh, sovereign Lord, right? They put God in his rightful place over everything. They refer to the word of God. They make sense of what's happening around them. And then what do they do next? Lord, make us safe and comfortable. Give us a really nice church where we can hang out together with people who believe like us and help us not to ever have to deal with the world ever again. Is that how they pray? No. They say, Lord, in light of these threats that have been leveled against us, would you fill us with boldness? Would you stretch out your hand and heal more people? Would you perform signs and wonders so the people around us would have no doubt that you are God over everything? And would you expand your kingdom through us? You see, I've tried to put myself in this story and think about how I might pray, or maybe even how we've prayed over the last couple of years as a church. Right? I mean, we think about the culture around us, and listen, culture right now, it's turning up the pressure and the heat's rising. No doubt about it. We are not being persecuted. I just want to be really, really clear. We don't know what persecution is in North America. We have brothers and sisters today who, when they leave their church service and go home, they might be arrested, they could be beaten. They might even lose their lives. And we don't have to worry about that here. There are times when I drive home on the bypass and I wonder if I'm going to make it home in one piece. But I do not worry about whether I'm going to be pulled over because I preached the gospel this morning. We don't know what it means to be persecuted. And I just want to be really clear about that. But I will tell you that in our culture, the pressure is being turned up and the heat is rising. The culture is asking us to change our historic convictions on human sexuality. The culture is asking us to deny what the Bible clearly teaches about gender. The culture is asking us to stop fighting for the rights of that unborn child to have a life in this world. All of those things go against the clear teachings of scripture. And those are just a few of the issues that we are being asked to change our perspective and to lay down our convictions on. And that feels to me like the pressure is being turned up and the heat is rising. And it's easy in that kind of climate to say, Lord, just don't let us be canceled. I was with a group of pastors just recently, and we were talking about issues of our day, and people said, well, I mean, this is what we believe, but we couldn't say that because it's being recorded, and we might get canceled. And I thought about this passage, and I thought, what is wrong with us? Why are we hiding in a day when a culture needs to be called back to God? Why are we, the ones with the truth, the ones with the way, the life that our world needs, why would we, why would we pull away from our culture and hide in hopes of being safe and comfortable? That is not what the church is called to be. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us.
Why are we afraid, church? The church in the book of Acts, they pray. That's their first response. They filter what's happening through the word of God, and then they pray for kingdom advancement. They don't pray for the situation around them to change. It's really important for you to understand this because it would also be easy to say, God, look at all those wicked people. Get them. But that's not how they pray. They do not pray for the situation around them to change. They pray for God to change them so they can rise to the situation. This is what God is asking of us in this day. Not that we would pray prayers of protection for safety and comfort. Not that we would pray for God to pour out wrath and vengeance, but that we would say, God, change us so that we can rise to the challenge of our day. And God, would you fill us again with your spirit so that we can be bold? And would you do signs and wonders? Would you heal? Would you change people's lives so that the kingdom of God can continue to advance? You see, the early church, their first priority was kingdom advancement. They weren't thinking about their safety. They weren't thinking about their protection. They weren't thinking about getting their enemies. They were thinking about the kingdom of God. How do we keep the Jesus movement moving forward? This is what the church is about. If you come to church thinking about yourself, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. You don't come to church to say, what am I going to get out of this today? Is this going to be the kind of service I like? Is this going to meet my preference? Is this going to make me feel comfortable and good and safe and happy? If that's how you're coming to church, you're doing it wrong. You ought to be coming to church and saying, how can we get more people who don't know Jesus in these seats? And why in the world did I not bring someone with me today? It's not about us. It is about the movement of Jesus. And we need a church in today's culture that cares about that. Because if you haven't noticed, in North America, it's one of, one of the few places in the world where the Christian faith isn't growing. One of the few places in the world where the Christian faith isn't growing. We pray for revival and we need to pray for revival. But I want to let you know, around the world, revival is happening. It's not happening here, but it's happening in other places in the world. And it's high time that the church in North America leaned back in to say, how can we keep the Jesus movement moving forward in this day? And I think the only way to do that is to pray bold prayers and say, Lord, change us, fill us, and use us to advance your cause. Now, we got to get to the last part of this passage where God responds to the people's prayers. Because this is the best part of the passage. They've got threats against them. They go to prayer. That's their first response. They filter what's happening to them through the word of God. They pray prayers boldly for kingdom advance, and then God responds, and here's how he responds. Verse 31, the place where they were meeting was shaken. 
I would love to have that happen here. Just to say the presence of God just so settled down on our gathering that the place where we were meeting was shaken with the presence of God. And they were filled with boldness and they preached the word of God. And what we know from this story, if you read in the book of Acts, after this prayer and this filling of the Holy Spirit and this work that God does in their midst, the church begins to grow and it begins to expand. In fact, persecution breaks out against the church. A great persecution. And in fact, it scatters all of God's people into various parts of the world. And if you read Acts chapter 8, and I would encourage you to, to do that, like what happens as they get scattered, they've learned from Peter. This is another opportunity to preach the gospel. More people who haven't heard. And even in the midst of persecution, God uses them to spread the gospel to new places and new people. You see, they prayed for the kingdom to be advanced. They didn't pray for the situation to change. In fact, after they prayed, the situation got worse. But the kingdom grew. What would happen if we put ourselves in a place where we just said, God, you do whatever you want to do. Don't change the situation, just change us. Make us the people you need us to be. Fill us with your spirit, give us boldness, do works and and miracles and heal people and change lives and give us the boldness to preach your word no matter what it might cost us. Maybe the situation around us gets worse, but would it matter if the kingdom of God were expanding? If lives were being changed and people were being forgiven of their sins and souls were being saved and marriages were being put back together and families were being rebuilt, would it matter if they were passing the right laws or doing what we wanted them to do or saying what we wanted them? Would it matter if the kingdom of God, like yeast through a lump of dough, was just beginning to influence the world around us? Would it matter? If persecution broke out, I believe we live in a day where the pressure is being turned up, the heat is rising, but what will we do in response? Will we cower in fear? Will we worry? Will we distract ourselves? Will we give up? Or will we lean in and say, God, would you do a new thing in our day? So as we close this morning, I want to invite everybody in this room to stand. And we're going to do a little prayer exercise at the end of this message. And I'm going to give you the instructions. And then Josh is going to lead us in a song. And this song, you're welcome to sing with him, but it's really being sung over you. Because what I want you to focus on is this prayer exercise. And and, and what I want you to do this morning is I want you to, to take your hands and put them in front of you. But I want you to clench your fists. Like you're holding on to something. And what I want you to imagine right now is that in your hands are safety and comfort that you're holding on to. I mean, who doesn't want to be safe? Who doesn't want to be comfortable? But as as this song is sung over you this morning, what I want you to do is as you're holding on to your safety and your comfort, whenever you feel ready, if you feel ready, 
I want you just to unclench your fists and let your safety and your comfort go. And with open hands before the Lord, I want you to ask God to fill you with his spirit and make you bold and courageous. You see, the church is not called to be safe and comfortable. We're called to be dangerous for the kingdom of God, to go out into this world and reclaim land for our Lord. So this morning, as we sing this song, keep those fists clenched until you are ready to surrender your safety and your comfort. And when you are, just open up your hands and ask God to fill you with his spirit. Let's make room for God to do whatever he wants to do this morning.